long weekend. Hopefully most of you had a long weekend. I think you did. Uh, my name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Church. And uh, I just want to uh, second what Cameron said. I love you guys. I love being here with you. I love singing with you. I also love just hanging out with you. And so thanks for making Genesis Church a part of your weekend. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to take our offering. But first of all, when you walked in, you should have received this. Uh, This is our worship program for the week, and there's a couple of important things in here. Uh, On the back is our connection card, and if you are a guest or a visitor especially, we'd love for you to fill this out uh, and give us any information that you're willing to share with us, and you can either drop it in the offering bags when they come by in just a minute, or if it's your first time here, if you've never turned in a connection card, we have a gift for you. And so if you go out to the Info Hub, which is just out these doors to the left right before you exit, uh, we've got a gift that we'd like to give you just for being here today. And, and really, on a 4th of July weekend, who can go wrong with a gift, right? I mean, you'd like to have everybody that wants a gift. 4th uh, of July is not really a gift holiday, but at Genesis Church it is. So there you go. If you're new, uh, we have a gift for you. We'd love for you to, um, to, be, to get that uh, just for being here today. Uh, I am going to invite our host team forward to take up our offering in just a second. Uh, But first of all, I want to thank you guys for being such a generous church. Uh, One of the things I love about Genesis is you guys give and you give and you give. And uh, one of the ways that we give is through the offering. We're going to talk about a second way in just a second. But right now, I'm going to invite our host team to come forward and take up the offering. We love to celebrate. We celebrate opportunities to give at Genesis Church, and this is one way we do it. Another way that we've done it for a few years now is to try to give back to our local schools. And as we uh, look to plant new campuses and and plant new churches, uh, one of the things we always look for is what's happening in the communities around us. How can we be involved? And one of the ways that Genesis has really found a niche for being involved is in our local schools. Uh, We've done that for years in Noblesville, and we're doing it this year in Carmel. And so we are starting a a new outreach drive that we're calling It's More Blessed to Give. Now, I just want you to take a look at this and see what we're talking about. So when you walked in, uh, in your worship program, you received this list. Did everybody get this? Hopefully you got this. This is a list of what the Merciful Help Center needs. And as Angela said in the video, um, the families will actually come in and go shopping for their school supplies. So they'll be able to take their own school's list and go down uh, everything that's available on the shelf. And we'd love to, uh, we've got some boxes out here by the doors. We'd love to fill those boxes with school supplies. So if you're out shopping this week, and believe it or not, the schools have all their, or the uh, stores have all their school supplies out. I was there at Meyer last night, and I couldn't believe uh, where the fireworks were yesterday or two days ago. The school supplies are there now. And so the stores are ready for you. Um, you can find lots of great deals, even 
even in today's paper, uh, if you would just pick up one or two or five or ten things on this list and bring them in and drop them in those boxes, we'll make sure they get to the Merciful Help Center and they'll make sure they get to the families in Hamilton County. They'll stay right here in Hamilton County for families who need them. So we, we love that we get to be a part of that. We love you guys for, uh, for serving in that way. Uh, we blessed um, somewhere around... 175 kids with backpacks full of school supplies this year. We just want to blow that away this year with two campuses. And so we hope that you'll uh, be a part of that. We'd love to have you do that. All right, if you have any questions, you can stop by the Info Hub um, or there's some more information at those tables just outside this door. Well, I know it's the end of a long weekend. Uh, did How many of you have a four-day weekend this weekend? Anybody? A lot of people? Maybe a third of the room? Uh, I have a three-day weekend. I'm working this morning, as you can tell. But I love these three-day weekends, these long holiday weekends. And I always remember as a kid that the 4th of July weekend is like one of those those landmark weekends in your summer. It's one of those days you remember. You know, you remember the barbecues and you remember watermelon. And, of course, uh, you remember fireworks and festivals and parades and things like that. Uh, But one thing that I never want to forget is that the reason we celebrate the 4th of July is because it's our country's Independence Day, right? It's the the day that the Declaration of Independence was signed. Uh, I I don't know how many of you know this, but the Declaration of Independence was actually finished on July 2nd, um, but but there were some wording changes needed. But on July 2nd, John Adams wrote this uh, in a letter to his wife, Abigail. He said this. He said, the second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. He said, I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. And then he says it ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time and forevermore. So hopefully this weekend you did some of that. You had the pomp and the parades and the Guns, maybe, I don't know, the, the sports, the, the volleyball, the cornhole, uh, the fireworks, uh, and things like that. But thanks for uh, ending it, uh, or at least including a solemn act to Almighty God by coming to church with us. And, and my experience has been that there are two types of 4th of July celebrating people. There are the go-to-see fireworks people and the light-off fireworks in your own backyard people. How many of you are go-to-see fireworks people? That's usually me. How many of you are uh, spend your entire paycheck on fireworks and light them off in your backyard? You must be my neighbor. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> those of you who are friends with me on Facebook know that my neighbors were lighting off fireworks uh, late into the night last night, and I am so thankful. I thought about going out at 6.30 this morning and doing the same thing for them to pay them back, but I didn't. Um, these are some of my favorites. Uh, these are... Poppets, you guys know what these are? These are the little paper things that you, uh, I, I almost opened these and threw these out in the crowd, but then I thought, I am such a boy that I would just uh, keep going until this whole box is empty. But I love these things, and I actually scared my daughter with one of these the other day. She didn't know I had one in my hand. And, um, but I, one of the things that um, I, I found funny this year about fireworks as I was thinking about this message and preparing for this is the warning labels that are on fireworks. Have you paid much attention to the warning labels? Um, This one in in particular says, use only under close adult supervision, okay, for outdoor use only. But then it says, and I'm not making this up, it says, do not put in mouth. (laughs) So if you had thought about putting these in your mouth, you should know not to put them in mouth. Instead, you throw them on the ground. That's what it says. That's the instructions. Uh, You know, I feel like as your pastor, 
It is part of my duty to warn you about things that, that might be dangerous in your life. And, and you know, in the past, uh, not too long ago, even in the story, we've talked about warning labels. Warning labels are warning signs like this one. You guys remember this one? Uh, we showed you this one a couple months ago. Touching wires causes instant death and a $200 fine. You know, if instant death's not enough to turn you off. Well, as we were preparing for this week, we found some more. So we found some more warning signs on the internet. We thought we'd share some of these with you. I love this one. Warning, children left unattended will be sold to the circus. That should not be an encouragement to you parents, okay? That is, that is just a warning. Or how about this one? I love this. Caution, this sign has sharp edges. What's the purpose of that? Do not touch the edges of the sign. And then it says at the bottom, also, the bridge is out ahead. So I don't know which is more important there. How about this one? Please be safe. This is at a zoo. Do not stand, sit, or climb, or lean on fences. If you fall, the animals could eat you, and that might make them sick. Thank you for that. And then I love this one for the uh, lumberjack that's not very bright. Do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. Those fingers don't look right. It looks like uh, that would not be good. That's a good warning label uh, to, turn, to turn you off. Why, why do we need these seemingly obvious signs? Well, sometimes I think it's because we like to think we know better than the people who make the rules. We like to think we know better uh, than the people who design these products. We're not always as smart as we think we are. I I remember a few years back, I was in Panama City. I was there uh, for a trip with some high school kids uh, for a conference, and uh, we got there just as one tropical storm came through. But as we were there during the week, another tropical storm came through. It was Tropical Storm Dennis. And we'd watch over the uh, couple week, or the week that we were there, um, every day uh, the skies got a little darker and they'd get a little bit more rain and the winds would pick up. And, and on the beaches in Florida and probably everywhere else, they have this flag system uh, to warn you whether you can swim or not. Are you guys familiar with this? And so if there's a green flag, it means everything's fine. Go ahead and swim. If there's a yellow flag, there's like a warning that there's a bad current or an undertow, you know, kind of swim at your own risk. Now, if there's a red flag, it's supposed to mean do not go in the water. It's very dangerous. And then when there's a double red flag, which usually only happens if there's a tropical storm or a hurricane, double red flag means you are not allowed in the water. Well, the last day that they were there, I actually ended up cutting the conference short, but the last day they were there, there was a double red flag on the beach. And so we would go out just along the sand and watch kind of these waves rolling in, these huge waves rolling in, and, and watch the wind and watch a couple of the boats that were out there just trying to survive. And then every once in a while, of course, somebody would come and, and jump in the water and try to swim or surf in the water. And the lifeguards would come along and drive their trucks up and down the beach, and they would stop, and they would you know yell and get the people out of the water, and they'd go on down the beach. But Every time that happened, as soon as the lifeguard got out of sight, uh, somebody with a surfboard would come along and get back in the water. You know, most people would comply, but a few people, you know, thought they knew better than everyone else. What, why would they do that? We're not always willing to pay attention to the warning signs. Well, we're continuing today in our series called The Story. Uh, it's based on this book called The Story, uh, which is uh, a reading in 31 chapters of the Bible. And so if you've not been with us, uh, we've been going through this book, but don't worry because on the back of your worship program, if you don't have this book, there's a reading plan. And so it tells you what you can read for that week. And uh, this week uh, was chapter 15, which is the July 7th week. We hope you'll read chapter 16 of the story uh, for next week uh, to prepare you to hear what we're going to say about that. But as we go through the story, um, in the next few weeks, we're going to read about the prophets. Now, now this is a, if you're reading through the Bible, if you decide some, for some reason, uh, like you're going to read through from beginning to end, or if you're reading the story, this is a tough part. 
This is a tough part of the Bible. And your tendency may be to kind of slack off. I mean, it's summertime. Maybe the stories aren't quite as interesting. Maybe you feel like, okay, I'm kind of done with the Old Testament. I'm ready for the New Testament now. And so maybe you're going to take a break. But don't do it, okay, because there's lots of good stuff in here. And we need you to hang in there because... um, because deliverance is coming, okay? But you need to know uh, some of these stories. They're really great stories. But we're going to talk about uh, the prophets. And we're going to talk about... Um, the, the, now, I want you to know who the prophets were, okay? The prophets were messengers. Now, that's important. But the prophets ser- served as a warning sign for the people. You know, they came with a message that said, if you don't change directions, there's danger. Like, you need to go this way. That was God's warning to the people, Let me tell you something else about prophets, something that you'll probably notice as you read through uh, the story. They weren't always popular with the people. You know why they weren't popular with the people? Because sometimes the word of God is hard. You know that? Sometimes the word of God is really hard. Uh, There's... There's, in fact, for all of us, there's going to come a time, there either has been a time or there will come a time where you're going to hear something from the word of God that you don't agree with. You're going to hear something that's hard to hear. Now, it's happened to me, and if it, has, if it hasn't happened to you yet, it will, I promise you. There's going to come a time uh, where what you believe and what you hear from God don't line up. Okay, and when we come to that point, we have two choices. We can either stop listening to what God has to say, we can just abandon the warning signs, or we can re-examine what we believe to be true. Now, I want to tell you why this is important, okay, because none of us are perfect, I hate to be the one to break that to you today, but we're not perfect. And none of us knows everything. And God wants to shape us and mold us and make us more like him. But if we're not willing to take a hard look at how we're living and at what we're believing, in other words, if we're not willing to change, then he can't possibly make us into everything he's designed us to be. But sometimes we cling so hard to the things that we want to be true, that we feel like should be true, the things that seem right to us, that our hearts are hardened to what God actually has to say. You know, we totally ignore the signs. And and several times throughout the Bible, it says that God would rise up early in the morning to send the prophets to his people. Now, when it says rise up early, it doesn't mean that he got up early in the morning. It doesn't mean that God's been sleeping. It doesn't mean that he set an alarm clock and didn't hit a snooze button. It, It means that before tragedy and devastation struck his people, God would be there early to warn them about that. But when we, when we think we know more than God, we're not willing to listen to his alarm call. And we'll see this time, we've already seen it time and time again with Israel, but we're going to see it again today. And we're going to look at, over the next couple of weeks at some of the major prophets. We're going to talk about people like Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah, but we're not going to get much time with them. And it's another reason for you to be reading with us in the story. And so we hope you'll read chapter 16 for, for next week. Now, Last week, if you were here, we talked about how God's nation was split into two kingdoms. The the northern kingdom, which was now called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is now known as Judah. Now, the problem for the people in the north was that the temple was in Jerusalem, which was in the south. Okay, And the the king uh, in, in the northern kingdom was a man by the name of Jeroboam. We heard about that last week and how that came to be. But the people in the north were accustomed to worship in the temple. That's the only place they knew to go to worship. And so if the people in the north wanted to worship, they would have to travel to the south, to Judah, to the temple to worship. And, and Jeroboam, being the king, uh, didn't really like his people 
going from the north to the south. Remember, there was a big feud, right? And, and because Jeroboam was in the north and he had power over people in the north, he was worried that some of his people would defect to Judah, to southern Israel. See, Jeroboam was jealous. And he was a little bit afraid that if they keep, kept traveling to the southern kingdom, they're going to go be with Rehoboam, right, and not come back. And so he comes up with a solution. Now, his solution, when, when you and I hear this, it's going to seem really stupid to you, all right? But this was the solution he came up with. We'll just make some new gods. That's all we'll do. So he, 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 he gets some gold, and he makes two calves out of gold. Now, if you're a student of history, all right, if you've read any of the Bible, this probably sounds familiar to you. Uh, because back in, in uh, Exodus, when we read about Moses going up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, you remember the people got restless, and so his brother Aaron got some gold and made a gold calf, made an idol for them to worship. You may remember that. Now, that didn't work out too well, all right? And it angered God very much. But, but then either Jeroboam either didn't study that or didn't remember it, and so he calls to the people of Israel, of the northern kingdom, and he says, here are your gods, you know, now you don't have to make that trek to the south anymore. The traffic's bad. You know, they got a funny accent down in the south anyway. Uh, just stay here and worship these gods instead. These gods. What are we talking about? These gods. What are we talking about? What's Jeroboam promoting? Well, it's false idols. It's idolatry, you know. And he's, Jer- one of Jeroboam's biggest mistakes is that he introduced idol worship into Israel. Again. Okay, and so uh, as as we read on, we're going to see that it just gets worse. You know, more kings follow Jeroboam, and and most of them were evil. And as the years go by, this idolatry gets more and more prevalent in the nation of Israel, especially in the northern kingdom, until it finally reaches a crescendo uh, with a king by the name of Ahab. And so if you have your Bible, you might turn it to 1 Kings uh, chapter 16. That's where we're going to start today. We're going to be in 1 Kings uh, 16 through 18, or obviously it's chapter 15 in the story. But 1 Kings 16, uh, verse 29 and 30 says this, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah... Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Okay, Ahab is the king of Israel. Verse 30, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. How would you like that to be the way you're remembered? Ahab did more evil than any of those before them. Anyone want those words on your tombstone? You know, I did more evil than anybody, yea, me. Well, that's his legacy. He did more evil than any other king. Now, before you start to judge, okay, let's just think, how different is he from you and me? You know, Ahab was trapped by his own selfish choices. I've been there. Have you? Ahab was unwilling to listen to God. I'm guilty of that sometimes. How about you? Ahab was unwilling to do the right thing. Anybody else ever have that problem? This week, Ahab married an evil woman. How many of you can say that? No, no, never mind. Wait. I saw a hand go up. I know who that is. But if you've heard Ahab's story at all, you know that a part of the problem, a big part of the problem for Ahab was his wife. Ahab was married to a woman named Jezebel. Not a Jezebel, okay? The Jezebel. When Jezebel became queen, she wanted to build an altar to her god. Her god was named Baal. Now, Baal was the god of the weather. Now, that's an important 
that's an important little tidbit. I want you to hang on to that for a few minutes because we'll come back to that. But because of her position of influence in the northern kingdom, in Israel, uh, the people, a lot of people, turned to Baal. A lot of people turned to idol worship. Well, from there, Jezebel went on to launch a full attack against God and his people. Eventually, she orders a massacre of all of the prophets of God. And God says, enough. And God calls a man named Elijah to be a prophet. Now, Elijah was a Tishbite, which means he's from Tishbe. Tishbe, that's kind of fun to say, right? Elijah's from Tishbe. And God sends him to Ahab and the people of the north with this message that we find in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Elijah says this, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. That's some power right there. You know, if, could, could you stand with doing that? Could you stand with, you know, declaring a drought on the nation? Well, Elijah knows this isn't from him, that it's power from God, right? It's a horrible prophecy for Israel because they really rely on rain to survive. You know, they've got to use rain to feed their livestock. They, they use rain to irrigate their crops. They use rain to drink water. There's no city water system. There's no centralized water. And so it's really important. But Elijah says, it ain't going to rain no more. Have a blessed day, you know. But that's what he's saying. It's going to be a drought, not even a drop of dew. It's going to get really, really bad, Elijah says. And this will serve as a warning sign from God. Now, why would God do this? You know, why would a loving God knowingly send a years-long drought on his chosen people? Well, it's because of idolatry. It's, it's, they've elevated someone or something to the same level as God in their lives. And, and when God does, if we do that in our lives, God could respond the same way. Now, in this case, it was Baal, the false god of the weather. Pretty dumb, right? I mean, it makes me feel a little better about some of the stupid stuff I do. But how foolish... Could you, how could you be so foolish as to bow down to a false god or a man-made statue? Well, idolatry is actually probably the number one problem in the Bible. You know, the first two commandments, uh, so two of the Ten Commandments, or, ten, or 20% of God's Ten Commandments, speak to idolatry. In fact, there are more than a thousand verses in the Bible that speak on the issue of idolatry. And maybe as you read your Bible, or as you read the story, when you come to those verses about idolatry, you may just skip over them. You know, you may think it's not relevant to me when they talk about gods like Baal or like Ashtoreth or others. They, they almost seem irrelevant in America in 2013, you know. How many of you were here last spring when we did a series called Not a Fan? A lot of Not a Fan people, a few of you? Okay, good. Well, uh, the author of that book is a man by the name of Kyle Eidelman. And Kyle has written a new book out and it's called, that he has out. It's called Gods at War. And in that book, he talks about a conversation he had with a friend who recently went to India on a mission trip. And his friend showed Kyle some pictures of some homes that he had visited where there's a, a golden statue or an idol in the middle of a living room and all of the chairs were carefully arranged around this idol and, and, uh, that was worshipped in a particular house. And Kyle writes this. He said, I saw the picture and it seemed a little primitive to me. It's hard to imagine there are still cultures that do this type of thing. And then I go to my family room and I notice how every chair is carefully arranged around the fireplace mantle that has a flat screen TV sitting on it. Are our idols really that different? You know, more than you realize, we have false gods and, and images all around us. As Americans, we particularly have a problem with idolatry. I have a problem with idolatry. You know, maybe for you it's not your TV. Maybe it's your smartphone. 
You know, maybe it's your car. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's your career or your hobbies. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your marriage. I mean, any of these good things can become idols when we elevate their importance above our relationship with God. I mean, just look at how much we pay movie stars or TV stars or sports stars. I mean, how many people will hang on their every word just because they can throw or kick or hit a ball? And I think we have idols too, don't we? Don't think statues and carvings, but an idol is anything that takes God's place in our lives. I love how author Tim Keller says it. He says it like this. It is anything idol, is an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that you seek to get that you seek to give you what only God can give. It's anything so central in your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly worth feel worth living. It can be family or children or career or making money or achievement and critical acclaim or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause or your morality and virtue or even success in ministry. When your meaning in life is to fix someone's life, we may call it codependency, but it's really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. So an idol is anything that we allow to take God's place in our lives. What is that for you? You know, maybe for you, you'd say it's nothing. So let me ask it another way. What things or people or ideas are more important to you than your relationship with God? In preparing for this message, we came across these questions that were posed to help people discover the idols in their hearts. Now, the interesting part of these was they were written by a pastor in the 16th century. But the questions are still really relevant today. In other words, this is not a new issue for us, but rather it's one that we need uh, to always be on the lookout for. And these questions are in your notes if you want to follow along. Uh, but there are, uh, these, there are seven of these questions. Uh, and, and I really want you to think about these as we go through them because they're really great at helping diagnose idols in your life. Number one is this. What are you most disappointed with in life right now? What are you most disappointed with? Is it your career? Your finances? Maybe it's your sex life or your family or where you live. You know, some disappointment is natural. There's some discontent that we're always going to feel just because, like, this is not the world we were created for. But whatever you're disappointed in may be pointing to, to what you put your hope in. You know, another way to ask this is, what do you complain about the most? Well, that might be an indication of an idol. Number two is this. What do you sacrifice your time and money for? You know, I can look at most people's lives, and I can tell what your priority is by what your calendar says and what your checkbook says. And where, where you spend your money and where you spend your time has so much to say about a potential God in your life. Do you, do you sacrifice and prioritize your money and your time for the Lord and His work? You know, because Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, question number three, what do you worry about? You know, what scares you? Is there anything in your life that you think, if I lost that, that would be really bad. If I lost that, I don't know what I'd do. If I lost that relationship, life wouldn't be worth living. You know, what you worry about can show you what you worship. Number four is this, 
Where do you go when you're hurt? You know, when life is hard, where do you find comfort? Maybe it's a particular kind of food or a particular quantity of food. You know, when life gets tough, the tough start eating, right? Uh, maybe it's your computer or your TV or your phone. Like if I, I drown myself in Facebook and Twitter uh, and, and worry about other people's lives, then I don't have to think about the hole that's in my own life. You know, men, when things aren't right, right in your marriage, do you head right for pornography? You know, if so, it's not just a sin in your life. It's an idol for you. You know, maybe for you, it's uh, I come home from work and I plop down in front of the TV and I surf through 300 or 600 or 900 channels or whatever I have just so I don't have to think about anything. You know, where do you go when you're hurt? Number five, what makes you mad? You know, what makes you angry? Maybe your team loses and you're a disaster. You know, nobody wants to be around you when that happens. Uh, maybe for you, it's a certain political viewpoint. And if somebody doesn't share your view, you, just, you don't just disagree, but you get angry with them. You know, maybe when someone treats you with disrespect, it makes you angry to the point that you won't let it go. You know, what is it that makes you angry? Number six, the opposite of that, what brings you the most joy? What brings you joy? What makes you laugh? Now, this is challenging because there's a lot of things that make us laugh that are not at all God-honoring. But laughter and joy are gifts from God. The problem becomes if we don't allow those things to bring it, that bring us joy to draw us closer to him. You know, God, they can become God's competition. So instead of worshiping the giver, we worship the gift, the gift of laughter. Really good things can become an idol in our lives if we're not careful. And number seven, the last one is this. Whose applause do you live for? You know, whose approval matters the most to you? Is it your dad or your mom? Is it your boss, your spouse? Maybe it's your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe you try hard to please everybody. Like, I just want everybody to like me. You know, whose approval you care about says a lot about who's at the center of your life. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life. It's a cheap substitute for God. It's like this. I feel a little bit like Carrot Top today with all the props. You guys know what this is? Anybody? No, these are not Pop-Tarts. These are great value frosted cherry toaster pastries. This is a cheap imitation of Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts are a delicious crust with fruity filling on the inside and delicious icing on the outside. This is cardboard with pink stuff in it. This is a cheap imitation of Pop-Tarts. It's like turkey bacon, all right? Or, or Lady Gaga. Come on, you all know she's just a poor man's Madonna, right? Okay. This is what idols are. They're cheap substitutes for God. Throughout the Bible, God constantly addresses this issue of idolatry. I said over a thousand verses about idolatry. He sends these messengers again and again to warn them about where they're going and the danger ahead. Now, this is pretty interesting. We said this a minute ago or a few minutes ago that Baal was predominantly thought of as the god of the weather. He's a false god of the rain that these people are worshiping in the northern kingdom. Now, do you see what God is doing? He's withholding rain because people are worshiping the God of weather falsely. You know, God's withholding a blessing in this area of their lives where some idol has been elevated to God's status. You know, they've been worshiping the God of rain. God says, fine, I'll withhold the rain. This is so important for you and me, and here's why. You know, don't be surprised when there's a drought in your life that matches up to something that has become equal to God in your heart. All right, I need to say that again. Don't be surprised when there's a drought in your life that matches up to something 
that's become equal to God in your heart. God is not going to bless an idol in your life. And so if you're praying, God, bless my career, but all of your identity and your time is in your career. In in fact, you're neglecting your family or your marriage because of your career. Why would God bless what you've allowed to replace him? You know, if you're praying, God, bless me financially, have you placed the value of money before your family or marriage or your relationship with God? You know, if you're not honoring God with any part of your personal wealth, don't be surprised if God's withholding his blessing in that area of your life. If you're not honoring God in your dating relationship, especially when it comes to sexual matters, don't be surprised if God's not blessing that relationship. You know, for Ahab and Jezebel and the people of the north, God is going to withhold rain until they see and discover that there's only one God. There is one true God, and only he can bring blessings like rain. Now, don't hear me wrong. All right, I want you to know that God loves to bless us. Like, he loves to give us good things. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7. He said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Jesus says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So he loves to bless us. But he's not going to bless an area of our lives that we've allowed to replace him. So, the drought comes just as Elijah said it would, and it lasts for years. Do you guys remember July 4th last year and how hot it was and how dry it was? It was so dry, right, that you couldn't have a campfire. You couldn't set off fireworks. Uh, it was incredibly hot. Well, that, that drought was devastating, and it lasted for a few months. Well, this drought lasted for years, but God, through Elijah, is about to bring it to an end because Elijah and Ahab, well, they're headed into the octagon. All right, it's coming. First Kings 18, verse 17. When he, King Ahab, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, troubler of Israel? How'd you like to have that nickname? Troubler of Israel. As someone who's just trying to listen to God, okay? Just trying to bring his word to the people. Elijah says, I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. So Elijah makes a suggestion. He says, let's settle this once and for all. Let's get your 850 false prophets and meet me at Mount Carmel. Now, Elijah was the only prophet of God at this time. Get your 850 false prophets and meet me at Mount Carmel. So that's what Ahab did. And Mount Carmel becomes like a stadium for Elijah and Ahab and the prophets of Baal. Uh, Verse 21, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between the two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Now, why nothing? Why did they say nothing? Well, because they wanted both. You know, if they they really wanted God, they would have said, we want God. If they really wanted Baal, they would have picked Baal, but they didn't. They they said nothing. They said nothing because they wanted both. Now, I, I think that's true for so many of us. And when we look at the idols in our lives, it's not that we don't want God. It's that we want God and we want this other thing. We want, we want God and financial blessings. We want God and, you know, whatever it is, God plus something else. We want Jesus to be a part of our life, but not all of our life. You know, we're not willing to believe that he can deliver on his promises or that he will come through in providing all that we need. And so Elijah said, you have to choose. Okay, they can't both be God. Pick God or pick Baal, and the people said nothing. Verse 25. 
Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Now, this is a little cocky. All right, there's some trash talking that's about to go on here. I'm telling you, uh, this is great stuff. If you don't read your Bible, this is in the Bible. Okay, Elijah began to taunt these prophets of Baal. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. I love this line. This is one of my favorite lines in the Bible. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. You know, maybe Baal's on vacation. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. You know, this is Elijah. He's pretty cocky. Verse 28. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. It seems so funny that people would go to such extremes But then I think about what extremes we'll go to to satisfy our need for money or for pleasure or for satisfaction or fulfillment. It's a tragic example of what's happening in our country today. You know, how much have you sacrificed for your idols? You know, what have you given up in relationships in the pursuit of your career? How much financial security have you given up so you can keep up with your neighbors? You know, how much of your relationship with God has been sacrificed on the altar of your idols? You know, these prophets draw their own blood, but nothing happens, so now it's Elijah's turn. So he steps up to the bull, and he gets ready to call down fire from heaven. But wait, that would be too easy. And so instead, he takes some water, and he pours it over the wood that, that, that's under the bull. And then he does it again. And then he does it again. Now he's just showing off. And then he takes a shovel, and he digs a trench all the way around the altar. And he pours so much water on there that the water runs down and fills this trench completely around the bull. He's so confident as God. He is a little cocky. But wouldn't you love to have that kind of faith? And wouldn't you love to have the faith that says, God, I know you can do anything. And so even if I make it harder for you, I know you're going to come through that. You're always going to come through. Well, let me tell you that Elijah didn't start there. And if you're struggling with faith in your life, just know that Elijah didn't start with that great faith. He, like most of us, started with a little bit of faith and trusted God with just a little bit of his life. And God came through. And so he trusted him with a little bit more. And God came through. And eventually it was easy to hand over his whole life to God. Well, that's how it is with you and me. If we can start with just a little bit of faith, God will prove faithful. And we can go on from there. Verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And not too long after that, it started to rain. Why? Because the people had put God back in His proper place as the Lord of their lives. The Lord, He is God. You know, when we, put the idols, when we put idols in our own lives, when they take the rightful place of God, we expect them to do things that only God can do. But when we put them back in the right place, 
That's when God can step back into that area of our lives and start to bless it. Now, let me tell you this. If you're not a Christian, all right, if you're here today, and, and by that I mean you've never made the conscious decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, uh, you're missing out on the one thing in your life that can deliver true joy, that can, it can bring abundant life, that can bring the rain when we so desperately need the rain. Colossians 2 says it this way, For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. And then if you keep reading, you hear what Jesus Christ has done for us through his life and death and resurrection. If you've been raised with Christ, the author of Colossians tells us, urges us to turn our eyes toward heaven looking for significance and satisfaction and anything else is foolish because as the author finally concludes... Christ is all. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to close your eyes with me. As we start to go into a time of prayer and worship, I just want you to think about a couple of questions. I've got a couple of questions for you. You know, Paul in Colossians says that Christ is all. The first thing I want you to think about is, what is Christ to you? What is Jesus in your life? Is, is he a teacher? Does he have some pretty cool things to say in the New Testament? And that's kind of where he is. He's a pretty good teacher. Is he, is he a prophet? You know, do you believe that Jesus brought words from God, but maybe he's not the son of God? Do you feel like maybe he's a really nice guy? He's a great example uh, to follow. Do you not know what to think about Jesus? Are you still wrestling with that? What, where is Christ for you? Or is he truly the Lord of your life? Is he somebody you want to follow? Somebody that you want to let guide you and direct you and whose example you want to take? Where, where is, who is Christ to you? Is Christ all? The second thing I want you to think about as we get ready to pray is, what are the idols in your life? What is it that popped into your mind when, when I said something about elevating something to the level of God in your life? What is that thing? Just hang on to that for a second. Because in a minute, we're going to pray that God would just take that away, that, that he, would, he would put it back to its right place in our lives. So many of the good things in our lives can become idols just because over time we've elevated them to a higher level than they deserve to be. And so I just want to pray right now for, for everybody in this room as we get ready to go into a time of worship. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we're sorry for the things that we've elevated to your level. We we know and understand and appreciate that you want and need and deserve to be at the center of our lives and that nothing else should be at your level. And God, we're sorry for the times that we've idolized things, that we've brought things like our career or our family or some hobby or some habit that's, that's become more important in our lives than you are. I want to pray specifically for you this morning. And so if you're here today and if, you're, if you sense that you're struggling with an idol in your life, I'm not going to ask you what it is. I'm not going to call out your name, but I'd love to pray with you. Would you just raise your hand right now if you've got something in your life that you know? Thank you for those hands. Thank you for that. God, I just, uh, I thank you for these bold souls and that they want to get rid of those idols in your life, so their lives. So can you, could you put them back in their right place, Lord? Over this week, this month, whatever time is appropriate, would you help to elevate your presence in their life so that you stand uh, tall and proud above those idols that we've created? And if you're here today and you don't know what to think of Jesus, you're not sure 
uh, where you put him, but you understand, you know that you need him in your life. I'd love to pray with you this morning. You could make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life right here, right today before you leave, and you could get started down a new path, a new direction, and I'd love to, to pray with you. If, if you're here and you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you want to do that this morning, would you just raise your hand right now? I'd love to pray with you. Again, I'm not going to call out your name, but I want to pray with you that Jesus would be the Lord of your life. You can pray this prayer with me. God, I need you in my life. I need you to be first and foremost. I need you to be my Lord. I need you to be my all. And so would you come into my heart, send your Holy Spirit into my life and make me a new creation. God, I want that. God, as we go into a time of worship now, we want to worship you and only you. So would you prepare our hearts for that? Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.